Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We're headed to the home stretch of football season and basketball is in full swing. And BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the action this year. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live, because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is NFL Monday week number 16. Every single Monday, we have brought you an NFL Monday podcast and a Memes of the Weekend podcast, and we are delivering once again here today. Welcome in, everybody. We've got a fun show planned for you today. We're going to hit on about eight of the... 12 games, there were 12 games, yep, 8 of the 12 games that we had on Sunday, I want to talk about 4 of them in particular, ad nauseum here, the rest we kind of just got to throw in because they had some stakes, or they weren't really funny, whatever it might be, we also got memes of the weekend to talk about some of the other laughably funny games, and there was a lot of laughably funny stuff, including the Pittsburgh Steelers, but they didn't make memes of the weekend, they made it on the normal podcast here this week, so we'll get to all of that on the Memes of the Weekend pod and this one. We got about eight games to start off here. And the place we're going to get to first and foremost is the two games that went down that had legit playoff stakes and storylines around them going into the weekend. It was one playoff spot for the AFC North and one playoff spot for the AFC East. There is still a scenario where the Miami Dolphins can win the AFC East. If the Dolphins win on Monday against the New Orleans Saints, they are the seven seed in the playoffs after I said that the Miami Dolphins, even though they were on a win streak and even though I love playing the T-Pain fight song for the Miami Dolphins, saying the Dolphins have a 0% chance of making the playoffs and now they have a chance to make the playoffs because they play the Titans and then they play think the Jets the last week of the season. So there is a scenario where the Dolphins can make it in the playoffs. Or maybe they play the Patriots. I don't remember. Uh, I think it's Patriots last week of the season. They play the Titans. They play the Patriots. But they can be in the playoffs after this week uh, if they pull off the win. And a reason that's the case is because Buffalo beat the New England Patriots in a shellacking of the New England Patriots. I know the scoreboard's not going to look like it was an absolute shellacking by the Buffalo Bills, but it was an absolute domination from start to finish by the Buffalo Bills, a game that should have ended with the Bills winning by 28 to 31 points after we picked them on Sunday in the Take It Easy Pick'em Pool, hedging our bet that we did on Slump Buster, but still picking the Buffalo Bills to win against the New England Patriots, and they dominated the New England Patriots, courtesy of Bleacher Report Gridiron here. This is the first time in the 392 games Bill Belichick has been the coach of the New England Patriots. The Patriots have not forced a punt. Mac Jones was on his way to one of the worst starting quarterback performances of any quarterback in the NFL this year, and that's saying a lot given what that rookie class has done so far in 2021. It was 
terrible by the New England Patriots. Terrible. And Buffalo shellacked them. And remember what we talked about back when the Bills played the Patriots in that crazy Monday night football game a few weeks ago with 50 mile an hour winds and snow. And we were all crowning Belichick because it was a classic Belichick victory. If Tyler Bass's 32 yard field goal doesn't slip just outside of the upright, it's 14 to 13 in that game. Then the Patriots, who had thrown the ball one time the entire game with six minutes left to go, threw the ball on second and third down and punted to Buffalo. Buffalo went right down the field and went for it on fourth and 14 from the 15-yard line and did not get it, and they lose the game. But if they had made that 32-yard field goal right before, were crushing the Patriots for bailing from the run game identity, throwing the ball at the end, saving time for the Buffalo Bills, allowing the Bills to go down the field, run clock, and kick the game-winning field goal from, again, 32 yards out. They were a 32-yard field goal sliding outside the upright away from losing to the Buffalo Bills back on Monday Night Football, and then they would have gotten shellacked today by Buffalo. Buffalo would have locked up the AFC East. The Patriots would be in the wild card, just like I had said at the start of the season, the New England Patriots would be around 12 and 5 and now it's looking more like 11 and 6 for the Patriots assuming they don't lose to the Miami Dolphins in some weird fashion to close out the season. And so at the risk of sounding like someone who is pivoting back and forth as the season goes along might have overstepped in saying the New England Patriots were the second best team in the AFC. And the reason I might have overstepped on the Patriots when they were on the seven-game win streak is because through and through I had said the thing that will be the downfall of the New England Patriots is low upside offense. But up until this point, their defense had played so well in that win streak stretch that it looked like the low upside offense was not going to matter, that they could mask the offense because they had such a strong defense. And for two consecutive weeks now, the defense has gotten a little bit exposed here and there. The Colts game, they lose, but really they probably should have won the game if not for a weird blocked punt that happens every now and then. If it had happened in a playoff game, I don't think we would have been crushing Belichick for losing other than just playing the result because it was one of those coin toss games against the Indianapolis Colts. It was a coin toss game against Buffalo the last time they played, and today was Buffalo boat racing the New England Patriots, just as I suspect the New England Patriots can boat race some of these playoff teams in the AFC. They did it to the Chargers uh, last year, and then they beat the Chargers again this year. So, like, it's obviously doable for the New England Patriots, but the New England Patriots are going to fall in the playoffs because of low upside offense. And I've been saying this all year, and it's really important to reemphasize it after this game. If you lined up every offense of the 12 playoff teams left in the AFC, and let's, let's take the Ian Book New Orleans Saints out of the picture. If you lined up all the teams that we know are going to make the playoffs, there's about 12 of them. The Chargers made things interesting in the AFC, but I will include the Chargers for the purposes of this argument. You can include the, the Eagles if you want. Uh, I would just kind of like say the seventh seed in the NFC doesn't really matter. If you lined up all of the offenses in the NFL and then took out the Titans because of injury and took out the Ravens because of injury, but knowing that those two teams, when healthy, had Lamar Jackson and Derrick Henry, and that was good enough to get them into the playoffs, the Patriots might have the worst offense on paper of all of the teams in the, in the playoffs. And in fact, I'd go as far as to say, if everyone was healthy, the Patriots would have the worst offense of anyone left in the playoffs. Now, is their offense going to be better than Baltimore and Tennessee? Yeah, they're going to be better than those teams because those teams lost Derrick Henry and Lamar Jackson. So of course their offense is going to be better than those two teams. But the New England Patriots will lose in the playoffs when a high upside offense exposes them in the way that Buffalo did today, which, surprising as it might be, Buffalo is a high upside offense. The thing about Buffalo is they're super vulnerable to a team that can dominate the running game and keep the offense off the field, leave their defense on the field, 
because Buffalo's defense cannot stop the run and Buffalo's defense lost to Davius White and Buffalo's defense still gave up 100 yards and three touchdowns to Damian Harris today. So Buffalo is easily beatable as well, which is why there aren't any beatable team. Every team in the AFC is beatable up until you get to the Kansas City Chiefs. We're probably going to run through everybody in the AFC because they match up well against all of the teams that they will face in the playoffs. And they'll have the number one seed. So again, they only have to play two playoff games. They'll be at home. They have a good matchup against the Colts, the Patriots, and the Buffalo Bills, which at this point feel like the only teams they might see in the playoffs. Or the Bengals, who they'll play next week. They'll boat race and will immediately recognize that the Bengals probably don't belong in the playoffs this year. Or if they do, they would get boat raced by a team like Kansas City or a team like Buffalo or a team like the Colts. The Colts one's a little bit of a stretch. Patriots is a little bit of a stretch. But it kind of goes to the point that there aren't a lot of great teams in the AFC outside of the Kansas City Chiefs. It's just a weird year where the elite teams happen to be overwhelmingly in the NFC. But bringing it back to the New England Patriots, the Patriots' low upside offense is going to get exposed similarly. It reminds me of what happened with Georgia against Alabama is that a team built with an offense that can't really score points at will is a team that's probably going to get exposed at some point along the line. And the Patriots did not really get exposed at any points along the way during that stretch where they won seven games in a row and their defense was averaging like nine points a game or something crazy like that. But the low upside offense is probably going to get taken off at some point. And the whole way through, it's like Kansas City is definitely the best team in the AFC, even when the Patriots had the same record or a better record than Kansas City. The whole way through, I was saying Kansas City is better than the Patriots. Why? Patriots have a low upside offense. Kansas City Chiefs have an offense that can score at will. Patriots defense, as good as it is, probably won't be able to contain the Kansas City Chiefs for an entire game because there's so many different ways that they can scheme against you and so many different pieces when healthy they can use to beat you. And I felt all the way through that Kansas City was stronger there. And rarely do we get a two-week sample right before the playoffs that gives us a pretty good representation, really a three-week sample if we want to go back to the Buffalo game, the Colts game, and then this Buffalo game that gives us a picture of who the New England Patriots are, which is matchups are going to be a big deal for the Patriots. Who they match up with in the playoffs will be a big deal of how far the New England Patriots go. Because if they match up at Buffalo, or if they match up at home against Buffalo, it's a really difficult game to try and figure out whether the Patriots will win or lose. If you stack the Patriots up against the Chiefs in the second round of the playoffs, probably that's where the Patriots fall. The Patriots are so matchup dependent because their offense cannot score points at will. They've done it at times this year. But you know who else has done it at times this year? The Philadelphia Eagles against pretty good defenses. Washington has scored points against uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense this year. Like, bad offenses or low upside offenses can still score points. The Patriots have overachieved this year based on what they have on paper, which is Mac Jones, who is very much going through the growing pains of a rookie quarterback. I know he might win rookie of the year kind of by default this year, even over uh, Jamar Chase. And we've, you know, I don't really want to have that conversation. But Mac Jones, since the win streak came to an end, the last three games he has, the game against the Bills where they just didn't let him throw a pass, 74 passer rating against the Colts. 30 passer rating against the Buffalo Bills, and only in garbage time does that 30 passer rating go back up. Mac Jones this year has a 90.2 passer rating. He has 12 interceptions, despite everyone talking about how Mac Jones is one of these quarterbacks who's very good at hiding or being one of these accurate short field guys. Mac Jones is top 10 in the league in interceptions, even though we talk about Mac Jones being one of these guys who throws short accurate passes he's not he's a game manager he's not going to do too much damage for you he's top 10 in interceptions he has four interceptions in the last two games this is going to happen at times as mac jones is going to get you in trouble fair not fair it's just mac jones being what i think is not really of all a 10-year franchise quarterback in the nfl feels you know 
coming into the draft, Blake Jude was saying he's a third-round prospect who's going to get drafted late in the first round, which kind of signifies that he's in that category of guys who can start for teams who don't have franchise quarterbacks. And this is the problem the Patriots have had when Bill Belichick was forced to trade Garoppolo and Tom Brady walking away and the butting of heads there is that the Patriots were kind of left scrambling trying to find a quarterback. And they've had this purgatory of Cam Newton, purgatory of Brian Hoyer, purgatory of Mac Jones. Maybe Mac Jones gets better as it as time goes on and he gets more comfortable in the Patriots system and they can limit the turnovers and he does not have high upside potential he just doesn't have the skill set for it it's the reason why he was the fifth quarterback drafted in this quarterback class where there's probably only going to be one maybe two quarterbacks who get to start for a decade in the NFL as we talked about yesterday with Baker Mayfield most draft classes only have one of those quarterbacks if there's about 16 to 20 in the NFL, and and that average career for those type of players is 12 years, it's like one to one and a half per draft class average. So maybe there's two in this draft class who end up being 10-year starters. Mac Jones would still not be a great bet for that. Probably better bet than Zach Wilson, but still not a great bet relative to the gifted, the gifted abilities of Trevor Lawrence, the gifted abilities of Trey Lance, and the gifted abilities of Justin Fields that we all saw coming out of the draft. It's a low upside offense that with this current version of the team is probably going to get exposed. That doesn't say anything for what the Patriots are going to be down the road, but the fact that the Patriots can get boat raced by a high upside offense on a day where their defense just doesn't show up signifies that the Patriots do have flaws. Of course the Patriots have flaws, because most people didn't think the Patriots were going to make the playoffs at the start of the season. The Patriots are totally overachieving based on what their talent is at this point. And so the New England Patriots are going to find themselves in more situations like this as we get into the playoffs and as matchups become so important for them and all of the non-Kansas City Chiefs teams in the AFC. New sponsor alert here on the Take It Easy podcast. It is Lightbox Jewelry. Using cutting edge technology and innovative techniques, Lightbox Jewelry has cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds that you can find at a light price of just $800 per carat. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off priced so they won't have to. Visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox Diamonds. Never a dull moment. This leads us into the other game that had big stakes and storylines this week because it was literally a playoff spot on the line thanks to four interceptions from Baker Mayfield and the Steelers having a shit offense and refusing to move on from Big Ben when they had the chance, we find ourselves in a situation where the Cincinnati Bengals were playing Josh Johnson's Baltimore Ravens for a chance to win the AFC North. Because whoever won this game was going to be in cruise control to win the AFC North. I think the Bengals now find themselves in a position where if they win one game at the end of the year against either Cleveland or or Kansas City, or Baltimore loses to either the Rams or the Steelers, then the Bengals win the AFC North. So the Bengals are going to make the playoffs. They're probably going to be the fourth seed in the AFC, and they will probably play the aforementioned New England Patriots or the Indianapolis Colts, a matchup that we talked about last week with Blake Jude. If you had to put a point spread on it, you'd probably take both of those teams over the Bengals, by some number of points. It actually might have been on the slump buster now that I think about it. But the point being, Cincinnati had one game, win or go home, and you get a playoff spot. And Baltimore had a game, win or go home, to save a playoff spot. But we all know Baltimore, when healthy, is a better team than Cincinnati. Baltimore was without 17 starters from the beginning of the season by the end of this game. And Cincinnati, with one game to make it to the playoffs, one game with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Zach Taylor, who nobody knows whether he's a good coach or not, and kind of improving their offensive line just enough to get by, and Joe Mixon 
having a career revitalization, and Trey Hendrickson being one of the best, if not the best, free agent signings from last offseason, and Chidobe Awuzie, and Jesse Bates being a second-team All-Pro, but if Jesse Bates walked into a restaurant wearing a Jesse Bates jersey, you would have no idea that it was Jesse Bates. How do I know this? The Bengals did a team photo with seven people lined up with the new jerseys. I knew what Joe Mixon looked like. I know what the white guys look like. Still couldn't tell you who Jesse Bates was in a lineup of Cincinnati Bengals stars. And that team, with one game to win or go home, destroyed the Baltimore Ravens in a game that makes me think this team has something special down the road with Joe Burrow, with Jamar Chase, with whatever Trey Hendrickson is now or will be in the future. That team has something special going. And Joe Burrow is going to be a really, really good quarterback. 525 yards, four touchdowns. They're going to jump off the page. They were playing a defense that two weeks ago against the Steelers literally said we did not have enough players to field a team at the end of the game. We were one injury away from putting wide receivers in at safety because they just didn't have enough players left in the secondary. And Joe Burrow put up 525 yards, which is like the fourth most passing yards in the history of the NFL. And he ended up with a 143.2 pass rating, four touchdowns, no picks, 37 of 46. Like, and by the way, walked out looking like Macaulay Culkin wearing a SpongeBob Krusty Krab jacket and a Santa hat. And I guess there's now a whole line of like, Christmas gear that looks kind of drippy like if you see saw Joe Burrow's outfit walking in it was awesome and it was all Christmas themed with the Santa hat and the glasses and a sweater that was like Christmas themed but still looked like something you would wear on a normal weekday like it was fan flippantastic and Joe Burrow ends up putting up 500 plus yards four touchdowns T. Higgins had 150 yards. Tyler Boyd had 100 yards. Jamar Chase finished with close to 100 yards. It looks like what LSU had in 2019 recreated with Cincinnati. Obviously, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase are easy to pinpoint on that, but if you want to put T. Higgins in the Justin Jefferson role, if you want to put Tyler Boyd in the role of, God, what was his name? Terrence Marshall. Terrace Marshall. If you want to put Tyler Boyd in the Terrace Marshall role. By the way, all three of those receivers all each broke Dwayne Bowe's LSU touchdown record, which was 12 at the time, by a good four touchdowns in the same season. Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and Terrace Marshall all broke the, the wide receiver touchdown record at LSU in the same season. Joe Burrow had 60 touchdown passes that year for maybe the greatest college football offense in the history of college football ever. And you're seeing glimpses of that in Cincinnati against, yes, a terrible Baltimore Ravens secondary, but seeing those glimpses was really, really fascinating because I did not know whether that was going to happen or not. And if I had to guess, history says that doesn't work out for Cincinnati. But Cincinnati had Andy Dalton. They had Carson Palmer, who had a really great career, and they didn't do a lot building around Carson Palmer and Andy Dalton made it to five straight playoffs, and A.J. Green was a trajectory for a Hall of Fame career. Might still make the Hall of Fame. It's kind of up in the air with A.J. Green. Hall of Fame trajectory, top draft pick, turned around the fortunes of that franchise, had a great defense led by Vontez Perfect and led by D.J. Reader and Geno Atkins and all the guys that were there for Cincinnati. Carlos Dunlap, of course, is going to be Hall of Fame consideration. And that team, even still, because they had Andy Dalton, always felt like they were lacking something. Andy Dalton, for a long time, was quarterback purgatory. He was the bar of, by being for that franchise and getting that contract that did not age well, made it a decade as a starting quarterback in the NFL. And then he went to backup on the Cowboys, and he went up to, we went to backup on the Chicago Bears, even though they promised him QB1. He's been a backup for Chicago. Andy Dalton got a decade as a starter with that team. Joe Burrow is the number one pick in his draft. According to Blake Judy, he's one of the most talented quarterback prospects in the history of college football. And Joe Burrow is from Ohio. 
and Joe Burrow is a high upside quarterback that is going to be that team's franchise quarterback for a decade, and they can actually compete at the highest levels of the AFC in the near future. I believe that team, not this year, but down the line, will be able to compete big time. I don't know if they'll be able to get players to keep coming. They had a huge talent influx over the offseason, obviously Chase, obviously Trey Hendrickson, Obviously, Jonah Williams was coming back. They basically had two first-round picks last year because Joe Burrow came back from injury. Jonah Williams came back from injury. And the Cincinnati Bengals did really, really well this year. I don't know if they're going to get that kind of jump, but it leads me to believe that this feels amazing, but it's not going to be the best thing that happens to Cincinnati. I could be wrong. I could be overreacting here. It feels like this is the start of something better as Joe Burrow gets more experience. And maybe it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes players don't always get better. This one feels like a huge, huge victory for Cincinnati. I know we'll talk more about this with Blake Jude later on this week, but this is a huge, huge win for the Cincinnati Bengals and just a huge momentum, monumental victory for Cincinnati. And it's it, this might be as good as it gets. Like for a decade, the Bengals know they're winning the AFC North know they're going to get to host a playoff game with that quarterback and that wide receiver who two years ago, while we were doing this podcast, we said was the best 0-8, 0-9, 0-10 team that we'd ever seen, but they were still 0-10. And they've turned that corner with two picks. They've started in one great free agent signing and little moves here and there. They took advantage of Baltimore going through all the injuries and Cleveland going through all the injuries. They can stack up and win the AFC North title. It might be their only AFC North title because they still have to go up against Lamar for a decade, but it's still really awesome that they get to have that moment. Ha ha ha, Kansas City. Have not lost a football game since October 24th. If you take out that stretch at the start of the season and go back to last year, Patrick Mahomes 35 and 2. If you take out that terrible stretch at the start of the season, he is 35 and 2. As Chiefs quarterback going back to when he injured his knee. Is this selective stat picking? Absolutely. But 35-2 and two gives you a damn good idea of how great Patrick Mahomes is at football. How great Andy Reid is of an off, as an offensive coach. And how great the Kansas City Chiefs are. That whole three hours was just Chiefs nirvana. Because I don't give a shit about the Denver Broncos, and the Las Vegas Raiders. I don't care about that game at all. The Bears and Seahawks game could not have been more meaningless. Could not have found a more meaningless game this year in the NFL. Both teams eliminated from playoff contention. Neither team has their first-round draft pick. You, nothing to play for. And it was a fun game. It was in the snow, but just no consequences. That Steelers-Chiefs game had my attention, and it was all Kansas City from start to finish and as someone who has made fun of Jimmy Garothlisberger aka G uh, Ben Big Ben I said that backwards but as someone who's made fun of Big Ben for two years now and the Steelers offense just being totally neutered and now ruining Najee Harris it was beautiful it was beautiful to watch the Kansas City Chiefs just dismantle the Pittsburgh Steelers, not because I hate Pittsburgh, but because you know that we're certified Mahomes here on the Take It Easy podcast, and Patrick Mahomes kicked some ass. Yes, he didn't have Travis Kelsey. Who cares? Apparently, all of the Chiefs' backups run and look exactly like Travis Kelsey. I know they're not as good as Travis Kelsey, but every time Blake Bell or Gray, I don't even know what Gray's first name is, catches a pass, I have to kind of like double take to make sure it's not actually Kelsey who's making the catch. Because Kelsey, for all of his skills, a little bit of a lumbering tight end, not a blazing speed guy. 
And when he gets open in the flat, sometimes you have to make sure that it's Kelsey and not Blake Bell or that it's Kelsey and not Gray, whatever Gray's last na- or first name is. Got to make sure it's not one of them. But Chiefs just copied and pasted those guys in as Kelsey's. Mecole Hardman had a touchdown. Pringle had two touchdowns. Tyreek Hill had a nice little game, even though he didn't have a touchdown. Kansas City kicked ass. It was fun. This week was great because in addition to getting the Pittsburgh Steelers out of here, this was a thank God I don't have to talk about these teams anymore. So we can like dead and bury some of these teams finally. With two weeks left to go in the season, we've been saying for five weeks, they're not actually good. Nobody wants to watch them. We can finally tell some of these teams in the terrible, terrible, bottomless pit of hell that is the race for the seventh wild card to get the bleep out of here. You can get Denver, the bleep out of here. I know Denver and Vegas were both 7-7 seven and seven going into this game. It was a game straight from hell. Straight from hell is Broncos Raiders afternoon, both teams 7-7, seven and seven, and thanks to the goddamn Chargers, one of those teams was going to get a winner-go-home game to get the 7th playoff spot in the AFC. But at least it was the Raiders, because if it had to be one of them to get to 8-7, and seven, thank God it wasn't the Broncos, because I can't watch another second of the Denver Broncos offense. Not with Teddy Bridgewater, not with Drew Locke. I can't watch another second of that crap Broncos offense. And I don't have to anymore because we finally can stop talking about dumbass scenarios where the Denver Broncos can make the playoffs. They cannot eliminate the Denver Broncos. They are, for all intents and purposes, out of here in the playoff race. So we can get Denver out of here. Thank you. Good night. Goodbye. Pittsburgh, thank you. Good night. I don't have to talk about you for the next two weeks, even though I'd like to keep making Ben Roethlisberger jokes if the moment presents themselves. You should have been gone if Mark Andrews had caught that tip pass against you on the two-point conversion, but now at 7-7-1, get out. Don't have to talk about you anymore rest of the season. Pittsburgh, bye. Denver, bye. You know who else we can say bye to? Washington. See ya. Don't have to worry about you anymore. I was tepid in my analysis of Washington when they were 6 and 6 and they were holding the 7th wild card spot in the NFC. I'm like, yeah, they beat Tampa. But this was also a team that was 2 and 5 before that. And they were only 2 and 5 because Jabril Peppers jumped off sides. And this was a team that other than beating Tampa beat Carolina on their win streak beat the Raiders on a last-second field goal? Like, we knew Washington wasn't good, and they had just lost Chase Young, and their offense is totally neutered. Yes, Antonio Gibson should have made a Pro Bowl, and yes, Terry McLaurin's a very good wide receiver, but Taylor Heineke is their quarterback. Taylor Heineke is a backup quarterback. Taylor Heineke's gonna have 7 for 21 games every now and then, because Taylor Heineke is a backup quarterback. And there's about... 20 backup quarterbacks I could name that I'd rather want before Taylor Heineke. And that includes 11 who are starting in the NFL right now, who are backup level quarterbacks who happen to be starting because there's only 32 starting jobs. And Washington, I don't have to talk about you anymore. Get out of here. Actually, let's say it. Get the fuck out. No more talking about Washington. No more talking about Denver, no more talking about Pittsburgh, and no more talking about the goddamn Minnesota Vikings. We'll get to that in a little bit, because that game was memes of the weekend worthy. We'll save that for later, but thank the Lord I don't have to talk about the goddamn Minnesota Vikings anymore this season. They're 7-8, and eight. the uh, Philadelphia Eagles are 8-7. and seven. There might be a weird tiebreaker scenario, but the Vikings play the Packers next week. They've already beat the Packers once. I got a good feeling they're not going to beat the Packers twice. So Minnesota's going to be 8-9. and nine. That's not good enough to make the playoffs. You can get the fuck out, Minnesota. Get the bleep out, Washington. Denver. Pittsburgh. Finally don't have to talk about your asses anymore. It was weird because you happened to be staying in a meaningless chase for a meaningless wildcard spot that you never had a chance of getting, but we had to acknowledge it because you were in the hunt, and we had to acknowledge the possible scenario that you could somehow make it as the seven seed, and we needed the content, but thank 
the good heavens of football gods that I don't have to talk about the goddamn Broncos or the goddamn Steelers or goddamn Washington or the goddamn Minnesota Vikings for the rest of the season. You just wiped them all out in one day. One day, just clean all of that off my slate. We'll get to you in a few months because the NFL draft's coming up. Not like for Denver and Pittsburgh it means anything because those franchises are just stuck in perpetual mediocrity now. Pittsburgh, not mediocrity, just perpetually being average for the past four or five years. Maybe they'll get Kenny Pickett and that'll solve all their problems. It's the local kid. It'd be more fun if you got him. <laughs> It'd be a lot cooler if you did. But at least we don't have to talk uh, Minnesota. Talk about perpetually mediocre. Don't have to talk about goddamn Kirk Cousins anymore. The mediocre Minnesota Vikings who should just tank at this point, <laughs> but they're not going to because Kirk Cousins is under contract for another year. So Minnesota, see ya. Denver, see ya. Racial slurs, see ya. You were never in it in the first place, but now we can officially get you out of here with a 35-7 at halftime drop against the Cowboys right now. We're recording this in the middle of the game, and thank God it's 35-7, so this can be the one. 42-7! Wow, just to checked it again. 42-7 at halftime. 42-7. Wow, Jesus Christ. 42-7 at halftime. Washington, you can get the fuck out. All of you. Goodbye. Season's over. We'll see you in February when we start talking about the NFL draft. Harry Douglas, Arthur Blank, Dante Fowler, Michael Vick, Devin Hester Hayden, Hurston Caleb McGarry. Tack McKinley, Deion Sanders, Michael Turner, Grady Jarrett, Austin Hooper, Tevin Coleman, Tony Gonzalez. Warwick Dunn, Brent Grimes, Kyle Pitts, Desterfont, Leftwich, Julio, Mascot has creepy eyes, Darren Holland, KZ, Maddie won an MVP, AJ Terrell, Duron Harmon, Russell Gage, Vic Beasley, we're the Atlanta Falcons, we're always flying and we keep on trying, we're the Atlanta Falcons, we keep blowing leads but we try to fight it. Steven Jackson, Jalen Mayfield, Dan Quinn, and Shanahan, Jeff, George, Jake, Matthews, Fabian, Moreau, Mike Davis, Ito Smith, Devonta Freeman's Pro Bowl, Jockeys, Rogers, Asante, Samuel, Young Way, Dean Pease, Mike Smith had a winning team, Henry Crockett, Petrino, Calvin Ridley, Jaden Graham, Deion Jones, Tajay Sharp, or Daryl is a running back, Chris Lindstrom, D'Angelo Hall, some dude named Zacchaeus, we're the Atlanta Falcons. We're always flying and we keep on trying. We're the Atlanta Falcons. We keep blowing leads, but we try and fight it. Dirty Bird, bring it back. Roddy White and Alex Mack. Alford, Luke McCown, Super Bowl prostitutes. Justin Hardy, Matt Schaub, Atlanta Braves baseball beat. With an onside kick, Dirt Cutter's an idiot. Corey Peters, Richie Grant, Chris Chandler, Paul Warlow, Lee Smith, Jay Brown, Super Bowls a no-go, Sunu, Brooks, Reed, Mike Pinnell, Matt Hennessy, Dwight Freeney, Toy Lolo, don't score that ball, Todd Durley. We're the Atlanta Falcons, we're always flying and we keep on trying. We're the Atlanta Falcons, we keep blowing leads and we try to fight it. Well, in the spirit of uh, teams that we thought we weren't going to have to talk about anymore, welcome the Atlanta Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons still technically have a scenario where they can make the playoffs. It's not going to happen because I still feel like they're going to lose every game the rest of the season, but the Falcons could still technically make the playoffs. And it didn't matter because the Lions covered the seven points anyways, so yeah, congratulations there. This would normally be a memes of the weekend topic, but... I feel like Lions and Falcons deserves to be brought into the main pod because this is an annual tradition we have here on Take It Easy is the the Lions-Falcons game. As those of you who have been listening for a while know is that any time that any of our pickers in the pick'em pool don't want to pick a particular game, they always have a Lions or a Falcons game to pick from. And it's cruel to make people pick Lions and Falcons games, or at least it was 
in 2019 and 2020. This year, less cruel to pick Lions or Falcons games because we don't have Falcons chaos games anymore. What are Falcons chaos games? Basically what the Vikings have been all season. That's what a Falcons chaos game is, is what the Minnesota Vikings have done. And so Falcons chaos games and Lions chaos games combine into one magical chaos game every time they play. For people who remember last year, it involved Todd Gurley accidentally scoring a touchdown and Matthew Stafford throwing a one-minute no-timeout drive to TJ Hawkinson for a last-second touchdown that the Falcons gave up like 30 yards out. And it was just a perfect ending because the Falcons always lose the Falcons chaos games. The Lions find ways to win Lions chaos games most of the time unless DeAndre Swift is dropping a pass or a field goal is being made against them or Justin Tucker's hitting a 66-yard game winner to take out the Lions or Aaron Rodgers is completing a Hail Mary. They just find heartbreaking ways to lose football games. And the Falcons just play chaos games all the time. But this year looked like it might not be a Falcons chaos game. I thought the Lions would win pretty handily in this game. And then I saw Tim Boyle was playing quarterback for the Lions. I was like, ah, crap. Might have miscalculated on this one. But both of those teams were terrible. The game was terrible. And it ended with the Falcons picking up the first down to seal the game with Russell Gage. And then having him fumble as he picks up the first down recovered by Detroit the same way Detroit almost won a game against Minnesota earlier this year Minnesota just needed to run out the clock the the Falcons picked up the first down to end the game and then get stripped and that ends up working in favor of the it, it ends up working out for the Lions to get the ball and for Tim Boyle with one minute left to go to just throw one of the worst interceptions I've seen all season and this includes Carson Wentz throwing with his left hand on a pick six and Tua throwing bad interceptions. This was, and Mac Jones having crap interceptions, and Patrick Mahomes like falling backwards, flinging a ball in the air against Washington. This was maybe the worst interception of the year. Tim Boyle just said, ah, bleep it. Gotta throw it up right at the end. Can't take a sack. And Minnesota and the Falcons just like nobody in the area. No one turned around. Three Falcons intercepted. Game over. Falcons win. Lions still cover the spread, so I'm happy at least there. Classic Falcons chaos game. Right at the end, right at the end, it was a chaos game, but neutered offenses, the Lions being the Lions, which is tanking, the Falcons being the Falcons, which is bad but not tanking, and remarkably lucky in one possession games like we saw that today. Falcons win the Falcons chaos game against the Lions, and uh, Every year we have that magical tradition and we're going to get to see it probably again next year because, well, no, I guess not. I guess the Falcons are going to finish ahead of the Carolina Panthers. So I guess we'll have to wait till 2023 for another Lions-Falcons game, unfortunately. But uh, it was fun while it lasted, wasn't it? Love a good Falcons-Lions game. It's something that needs to be honored and cherished every year because it doesn't come very often. We got two years in a row, fortunately, of Lions-Falcons and now we have to wait until 2023 for more beautiful Lions and Falcons football to be blessed into our lives. Woo, Chargers, saved you for last year. Saved you for last year on the NFL Monday podcast. I know everyone's surprised that the Chargers got smoked by Washington and that or that by smoked by Houston and that Houston scored 40 points. It's not that surprising. Like, it's, it's surprising, but we've seen dumb results like this all season in the NFL. Like, this happens all the time. I think it's just because the Chargers have Justin Herbert that we're like, yeah, the Chargers are going to pummel uh, pummel Houston, 13.5-point favorites. It's it's not that surprising that the Chargers won. Is it, a, is it an upset? Of course. But everyone's like, this is, you know, one of these ridiculous, crazy upsets. No, the Texans going into Tennessee and winning was a crazy upset. The Texans putting up 41 points is more of a shocker, but Justin Herbert threw two interceptions, one of them being a pick six. Davis Mills happened to have an amazing game with no turnovers, 250 yards. They rushed for close to 200 yards against the Chargers because the Chargers defense is ass. Like this was the thing all season. The Chargers defense is terrible. They cannot stop the run for shit. We thought their secondary was going to be really good at the start of the year, and Nasir Adderley wasn't quite what we thought. Asante Samuel Jr.'s gotten hurt. 
Chris Harris is trying to do damage control for the Chargers at this point. Like, the Chargers' problems, I was saying all year long, and if you go back to the one we did after the Chiefs game last week, the Chargers had no business being in a position to catch Kansas City this year. That team is not talented enough to be at the level of Kansas City. And it's not like anything bad for them. It's that they just have personnel issues. They don't have enough weapons on offense. Their offensive line could use one to two more pieces and their defense can't do shit. And the Chargers are still going to make the playoffs because they have enough with Justin Herbert to score more points than their opponents and outshoot opponents every now and then. And their defense forced a lot of turnovers early in the season. And turnovers can mask a lot of defensive inefficiencies, as we're seeing now, as teams just decide, okay, we're not going to throw it. We're just going to run the ball all game on you. Texans only threw 27 passes and ran the ball over 30 times in the game. Texans actually ran it 34 times in the game. 34 rushes to 27 passes. The, the solution was, okay, the Chargers get turnovers when you throw it, Okay, we're just going to run the ball because he can't stop the run. And that's why it's super important for the Chargers to improve run defense this offseason, but it's something they can't correct until the offseason. I thought with Justin Herbert and already having eight wins prior to the Kansas City game, I thought that was going to be enough for the Chargers to get in the playoffs by default. I thought they were going to go head-to-head with the Bengals. That was before the Ravens fell apart. Now the Chargers just have to beat out the Ravens and maybe the Miami Dolphins because the Dolphins will be the seventh seed in the playoffs if they beat the Saints. Let that process in your head real quick. The Miami Dolphins will be the seventh seed in the AFC if they beat Ian Book today and we'll come in tomorrow and we will blast the Miami Dolphins fight song all over this place. We're going to spray it. Just like Taylor Heineke spraying interceptions around the Washington defense or Davis Mills spraying completions to Nico Collins and Brandon Cooks and I think Danny Amendola because apparently Danny Amendola is on the Texans. Chris Conley, Brevin Jordan, Philip Dorsett, Chris Moore, just random ass dudes all over the place dropping 41 points on the shit Chargers defense. That was still probably going to be good enough to make the playoffs because the Chargers have that quarterback and that offense. Which, by the way, Mike Williams, Jalen Guyton were on the COVID list. Explains a lot of the offensive woes for the Chargers. They were just missing weapons. Austin Eckler, not really that healthy. They were Justin Jackson was like getting the bulk of the carries for the Chargers. And that explains a lot of your offensive woes. Is you don't have Austin Eckler, you don't have Mike Williams, and the, the offensive weapons and that quarterback were the thing carrying you to the playoffs all season because having those guys at, in place is a base level like eight, nine wins. And the Chargers now will probably win nine games, and that might not be good enough to make the playoffs. Now you have to play with tiebreakers because you lost to the Texans. And it's not that surprising that they lost to the Texans again. S- surprising. But the Texans might be one of these teams that we talk about where watching how teams end the season can sometimes give a good hint about how things are going to go next year. Sometimes it doesn't. Like last year, the two teams that got really hot at the end of the season were the New York Giants and the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals got much better. The New York Giants did not. I think it all has to do with who the Chargers add in personnel this offseason and who the Houston Texans add in personnel this offseason will decide how good those teams are going to be in the future. Chargers need to really improve, sign big defensive free agents, draft skill position players in the second and third rounds. I don't know what you do with your first round pick. You can kind of, you know, dealer's choice that one a little bit. But point being, the Chargers, there's a clear path for improvement for the Chargers. For the Texans, it's just add talent. The fact that they've won two or three games in a row and they want to run it back with Davis Mills next year is like a sign that... Yeah, you're going to tank next year, but you're hopefully not going to be as bad next year as you were this year. Maybe that's a realistic goal for the Texans. Who knows? I guess we'll find out in the near future. Wasn't that surprising? Even if it was shocking, it's a weird upset. Wasn't that surprising that the Chargers lost to the Texans? Because the Chargers are kind of an average team. The Texans are a tanking team. Sometimes it happens. It's not like the Texans beating of one of the really good teams... It's not like the Washington beating Dallas. No, Dallas is up five touchdowns at halftime. No, it's not like that. It's weird. The Texans scored 41 points. 
considering they scored eight points in a three and a half game stretch. But shit happens. Texans have won three of their last four games. It's kind of weird. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the NFL Monday Week 16 podcast. Thank you for all the support you've been showing us through a difficult time losing our Instagram page and a lot of the work that we've put in here. I really appreciate all of you continuing to support the dreams here on this podcast. Make sure to leave a like, download a five-star review. All that good stuff will be really, really helpful in the near future. Uh, We appreciate each and every one of you for stopping in, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, wherever it is that you're stopping in. We appreciate each and every one of you for all of your wonderful support. As always, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. And sending you into tomorrow is our fight song for our beloved Miami Dolphins. Go get them, boys. Take down Ian Book and take over the seventh seed in the AFC. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube